Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Is it too late now to say sorry? Because we're missing more oh, than just your apology. apology. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let's get into this episode and talk about leaders and apologies. So hi, everyone. Thank you for coming and listening again to us, uh, the Gritty Nurses. Uh, this episode, I think, is going to be another really interesting one. One more, again, about our own perspectives and our own takes. And it's actually kind of a spinoff idea. And this concept for having this episode came to us, what we would say, as a Twitter interaction. And before we name any names, I'm sure people probably have an idea. So maybe we'll just kind of say what what occurred. During this time of conflict, there was there's a lot of things that are happening just in general in the world. And in this particular case, it was kind of the very beginnings of, I guess, the Ukraine-Russia invasion. And there was some discussion about anti-Black racism at the borders. So I think it was actually very, like a very new thing that we were starting to hear about. And there was some concerns about, you know, Russian bots and various different, you know, fake or misinformation that was spreading around. So people were trying to be very cautious with the news and what they were retweeting or whatnot. But there were, I guess, in this particular case, there were lots of instances where people had, you know, videotapes or they had taken videos with their cell phones of these encounters where they were trying to cross into the borders and there was mistreatment, particularly refugees that were were black and students and or students. And it wasn't just black individuals. It was Ethiopians. There were people from Egypt. There were pe- people that were Indian. They were all talking about, you know, some of these challenges that they were facing. And someone who was prominent, had a pro- has a prominent voice on Twitter, had voiced, there is racism at the borders. Um, this is something we should talk about. Although there is war, we can also talk about racism too, because it still is a problem. And this is kind of where the interaction for me got a little bit weird when this particular politician, Natalia Kusindova, actually quote tweeted this individual and said she should stop spreading misinformation. Right. And I think I want to jump in here because it was like, you need to retract your tweet. And that really irks me because Twitter is supposed to be a place of free thought and free speech. And we should not be asking people to retract tweets when we have no proof that they are false or, you know, that they're racist. And I think it's a general respect for your colleagues on Twitter that you can have a difference of opinion and that's okay. But asking or demanding someone to retract their tweet just crosses the line for me. 
I wholeheartedly agree. Long story short, there was a plethora of evidence that suggested that this was occurring. And after calls and many, many calls for Natalia to apologize to this individual who initially put up the tweet, there was no apology. So really what this this episode is actually about, it's actually about leadership. What do we hold our leaders to account? How do we, as healthcare professionals, look to people who we consider leaders and expect them to do the right thing, showing accountability, apologizing when things are going wrong? I think this is a huge, huge, huge thing that we need to talk about. I think I've had many encounters with people who I would say that I respected or looked up to or, or you know, they were in a leadership role or position of power over me where I watched a misstep happen. And I've seen both things happen. I've seen really good leadership in terms of an apology or, you know, understanding that maybe they took something the wrong way and that they need to correct their actions. And I've also seen people who just... They just fuck it up. They don't do a really good job at, you know, just coming to the table and saying, I made a mistake and here's how I'm going to course correct. Yeah, I think I would start by saying that with us doing this podcast, when we first started, of course, there were a number of people that we looked up to. And as we've gotten to know some of those people, I would say that throughout their interactions with people that have resulted in conflict, their true colors have shown. So we can see, I guess, behind the scenes of who we really respect as leaders and who we no longer respect so much as leaders. And it, it really is interesting because from afar, right, you see this person in power, they're in a position of leadership, a lot of people look up to them. So whatever you say, you have a responsibility to deliver on what you say you're going to do. And here's where I think it gets interesting. When somebody has said something or done something that's wrong, how they react to what happens, it really shows their true character. And this is where I sometimes I see things that happen, especially in public forums, and it makes me lose a lot of respect for the people involved when they are shaming others, you know, trying to silence them. All the things that we're trying to prevent from happening in nursing, they are perpetuating that culture, which is really a shame. You know, I I think people put people up on pedestals, right? You know, this person's been in power for such a a long time. They must know what they're doing. They must understand intricately all of the nuances and and how to act in a public and, and private forum. But I think we have to understand at the end of the day, people are people. They're fallible. They make mistakes. Whether they are in positions over you or under you, people are people and they're bound to make mistakes. But I think where the rubber meets the road is that individual who can say, you know, I messed up here and here's how I'm going to take this away and learn from it. I think for me, for, for those types of people that I've interacted with, I feel that that is actually taking accountability. I'll be even honest myself. I think it's actually an evolving journey for myself because I used to be, I wouldn't say that I was one of those people who, you know, um, wouldn't apologize. But I think that I, I think my personality previous to, you know, kind of being a mom really (laughs) and being a parent, I kind of was a little bit stubborn, you know it's my way or the highway. I know this is my perception, my perception. Like I was very, very opinionated. And I think just as kind of with having children, continuing having conversations in a variety of different standpoints. And then really, I have to be honest, I think that experience that we both shared 
where we worked, where we were bullied and we were silenced. I think for me at that point was the turning point for me to say, there's got to be a different way to do this because I think even myself, I held people to this esteem, right? You know, oh, this person's a director. Oh, this person's a manager. Oh, this person's a CEO. And you just, you look at them with like these rose colored glasses and you just think that, you know, these people can't do any wrong. And then it's just like, they're human, they're fallible. And really actually these people are held to, should be held to a higher standard and a higher, you know, accountability, particularly for being in those types of roles. Yeah, it's it's more like I think about how people got to where they are. And a lot of times we have this assumption that people got there by virtue of their skill or their hard work, when a lot of times it's who you know, you know, your strategy of stepping on other people's backs to get where you are. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because you're in this position that you're necessarily a good leader. Like a good leader needs to really listen to the people that are in their circle. Know when to step aside and hand over the mic. And I can't say that I see that as often as I would like in, you know, the roles that I've seen, people that I've gotten to know. At the end of the day, CEOs are still people. Presidents are still people. VPs are still people. It's just that they have a different title and maybe a different salary. Yeah, and I think the the most actually important thing is actually holding people accountable for their actions. And I think this is where some people, they see those titles and be like, we can't, we can't you know, they're in this big role. How, how can we call them out? It's like, well, easy, just like we called out Bill Clinton for sleeping with Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> he was the president of the United States at the time, just as we call out when there's errors that happen in medicine, because if we don't, we know that harm can continue to happen. Just as, you know, when when Blackface Trudeau, when that happened, you know, we have to hold our leaders accountable for their actions. Like we can't, we can't just be like, oh, you know what? They're in that position of power and just leave it. That's how, what their true values are in those areas. If you don't know who you are as a person and can't hold people accountable for not being altruistic, for not being respectful, for not being trustworthy, for being mean, for be- being, you know, um, disrespectful, for being harsh and, and you know, gaslighting or abusing, then what are we actually doing? We're holding up people that are, that are damaging other people's lives and livelihoods. And it makes, it really makes no sense to me whatsoever. I want to touch on this topic of psychological safety because I think that's really important. So if you are listening and you are a leader, think about your direct reports. Do they always agree 100% of the time with what you're saying? Because I can guarantee you that if they do, they just want to get on your good side. We can't all agree on everything all the time. (laughs) And if this is you, if you're constantly agreeing with your manager because you want to look good or you want to get along, like think about what it takes to make change or innovate. It's not everybody agreeing on everything all the time. Like it's fine to disagree respectfully so that we can find ways to move forward. So I would say that psychological safety is so important to have as a leader and to create a culture where people feel safe to speak up, not that they're afraid of you. They're so afraid that they don't want to say anything ever, you know, and they're just silent. Yeah, that comment, Sarah, is money because look at how many situations we've been in where let's say we're sitting at a table and and the leader is at the table and you sit in that meeting and all these ideas are thrown around and you're just like, that shit, that shit, that's dog's breakfast. And we <laughs> and then when they ask you, they say, hey, what is everyone's opinion? And we all go, oh, it's great. It's because we know that that person wants sycophants. 
What's the point in having an organization or having a meeting where you only want to hear your own ideas, your own agendas, because everyone is so fearful if they were to say something against you that you'll gaslight them, that you'll put them down in the meeting, that you'll make them look stupid. What kind of work environment is that? And then I have been in another work environment where, you know, someone puts out their their thoughts or the leader puts out their thoughts and people are like, yeah, respectfully, I think we should do this. And the leader says, tell me how you come up with that. That is the place I want to oh, work at. That is the place that, you know, I'm happy to be in. Like, I have to say that, you know, my work environment is actually, I think I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate that I have a team that, you know, it's not just we all do, we all nod our heads and we all do what the leader says. We have an environment in which we can say, you know, we tried this and it didn't work. Can we try something else? Or, you know, I didn't see it that way. How about we try X, Y, and Z? And no one is like feeling threatened or intimidated by it. But those people who do feel threatened and intimidated by that, by, you know, people challenging or questioning their, their leadership, I think those people need to give them their heads a shake. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be in. Yeah. And think about how many times in our careers we've been in a room and we're all talking amongst ourselves. Then the doctor walks in and everybody shuts up, right? Mm -hmm. They shut up. (laughs) And even if they were discussing previously an idea that they all thought was a great idea, as soon as the doctor voices his or her opinion, if it isn't what you had talked about, all of a sudden it's like this person's idea trumps everybody else's ideas in the room. And what this says is this person holds all the power. They hold all the money. And we have to do what this person says because people are afraid they're going to get fired or something really bad is going to happen. They're going to get reported to the college or whatever. I've seen that happen in so many, so many, so many different instances. And I've actually had people tell me, oh, well, the doctor, the doctors are the ones that make the rules here. We just, we just sit at the table and it just, it just begs to question why we do a lot of the things that we do. But one of the things I did want to touch on is this whole role of humility and how, you know, apologies can play out in healthcare. So I actually pulled some information from the Harvard Review talking about leadership and apologies. And um, what it says is healthcare, so um, it, like physicians, for instance, now have to consider apologizing to a patient for a medical mistake. This is not something that's new. This is something that most organizations, I'd say, I, I should say, I hope all organizations are leaning towards because we consider that apologizing to a patient for a medical mistake is an important step, especially when there's error that occurs. Um, There's lots of laws in place to make this more easily to be done. And I think that this is just something that should be done in good faith. If you Mm -hmm. make a mistake, you want to apologize for it, especially if it is going to cause harm. I don't know if you remember it this way too. There used to be this fear that if you apologize, it's like culpability, like you're guilty, you're an evil person. And that's not the case. Sometimes it's just about humility. It's you made an error, you're apologizing for that mistake or that error. And it doesn't necessarily prompt a lawsuit. I think they've actually done studies that have shown that it actually results in less likely being sued as well. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say exactly what you just said. And really, it's just getting down to that person at their level. So they're not just a medical condition or a number or a case. It's like you're talking to them as a person. So, you know, I understand this happened. Maybe somebody passed away as a result. Just talking to them as people and, you know, having the dignity to feel what they're feeling and really hearing what they want to tell you. 
And you're right. It doesn't mean that because you apologize necessarily that you are accepting responsibility, but you're saying that this is just a sh- really shitty thing that happened. And I'm sorry. When we kind of circle it back to just the the how we prefaced with the story with um, this MPP who's supposed to be in a, a political leadership role in Canada, in Ontario, and then we think about even just, you know, CEOs, executives, I think when people are acting as leaders, the circumstances tend to be a little bit different. Shouldn't be, but they are. Because, you know, leaders are not just responsible for their own behavior, but also for, you know, their followers who might be hundreds and thousands of people. And then even in some cases, millions of people. So I think the first question is then who's exactly the guilty party, right? What's the degree of damage that's going to be done if you do apologize or if you don't apologize? And if a leader feels obligated to apologize, especially for something that's very egregious, what is the harm that is that has been inflicted? Is it very serious? Is it widespread? Is it enduring? And I think this is where we have to think about when you're in those positions, how important it is to make those apologies. I personally feel that in this particular instance, saying nothing is actually even more damaging because I think, I think what people think most of the time is that if you say nothing, it just goes away. Like no one's going to talk about it anymore. No one's paying attention. No one's going to bring it up anymore and it'll just die down. But the thing is, I think especially in this day and age, especially when it comes to politics, people have a very long memory. Those types of behaviors, I think, because they're so public, people are going to remember them and they'll remember the fact that this individual did not apologize. And I think that's damaging. I think that's damaging to her in her own reputation. Yeah. And I think that, yes, the the lifetime of something trending on Twitter is very yeah. short, but in our minds, it goes on for much, much longer. And it is the elephant in the room, especially if it plays out where other people are dragged into this conflict unwillingly. You know, it was something that they didn't sign up for. It put them in a very uncomfortable situation. It radiated outwards to people like me. And then for it to continue to play out in other public forums, which I won't get fully into, but to drag even more people into it that weren't even involved in the first place. So, I mean, like, if it plays out publicly, I think it warrants a public apology. End of story. I 100, 100% agree with that. If it came out publicly and you are trying to shame someone publicly and you messed up, then you therefore should ha- offer a public apology. And again, like one of the things that this Harvard Review stated is leaders publicly apologizing, it is something, it is it would be considered to be a high stakes move for themselves, for people who are watching organizations that they work with, et cetera. But this refusal to apologize could be either strategic and it also could be suicidal. So conversely, the readiness to apologize can be seen as a sign of a strong character or actually as a sign of weakness. And a successful apology can turn an enmity into a personal and organizational triumph. So for example, if she came out and she was like, you know what? I misspoke or, you know what, I am sorry. I shouldn't have said this. I didn't have all the information. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to review this and let's see how we could partner together to make sure that everyone who's a refugee crosses the border safely. She she could have won herself votes. People could have been like, oh, wow, look at this person, you know, wanting to work with with, you know, other people. And, oh, she took this and turned this into a positive opportunity. And it just 
for me, just watching it play out, it was just like negative, 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 negative. And I think it just turned a lot of people off. And this is where I refer to it as digging yourself farther into the grave, where you could have just ended everything with an apology, but instead you kept digging yourself farther and farther and farther in to almost a point of no return. But but just going back to what we were talking about with apologies, I think it's fine to apologize to someone privately, but then if it occurred publicly, you need to follow up with a public apology as well. So it can't just be like, you know, so so and so and I took this offline. It's all dealt with. I apologize. But you didn't apologize to everybody else who was wondering what happened, who was really invested in this conflict and wanted it to go a certain way. And they never got that closure. Yeah, I think the hardest part of watching that all kind of transpire was the fact that there was a lot of evidence afterwards that suggested that this information initially that this person had tweeted was true. Where for me, it's concerning is when that information came out, because we're we're in this time of misinformation, the dis, they call it the disinfodemic. We've watched people, you know, spill all sorts of misinformation on the internet about the pandemic, about all sorts of things now. Like I've even, I've even seen as far as crazy nonsense about abortion rights. We're watching this whole don't say gay bill play out. It's, it's insane what's happening in the world. And the fact that someone who's in such a position of power saw that the fact that, and I think, oh yeah, that's the other piece. This individual actually had tweeted saying that there was racism at the border and then took the tweet down. And I think that that is really scary. You knew you were wrong. You saw the the evidence. You saw that it was it was now not classified as misinformation. And you sent a private apology, but you wouldn't apologize publicly. Like, what does that really say about this person's character? It's It's very scary when we have people who are supposed to be in these types of, you know, democratic authoritarian leadership roles and you, they can't back backpedal on something as small as a Twitter tweet. It's crazy. It just makes me wonder about what happens in the legislation, what happens behind closed doors when we can't see what's happening from the political standpoint. It's, it's really unnerving actually. We've been in a number of these conundrums, I'll say. Um, and I feel like in a lot of them, it was this, it was a person, not the same person in every case, but someone who read a tweet and took it personally when it wasn't meant to be personal at all. So that also makes me wonder, like, why is this person so insecure about things surrounding racism, right? To take something personally that actually had nothing to do with you, but you thought did, you thought it was an attack on you was not actually an attack on you at all, but you felt the need to defend yourself. And then when you were called out on it, to continue to defend yourself when it no longer even made any sense. And yeah. I, I kind of wonder about that, what's happening in that person's mind as well. To me, it's always concerning when we have people specifically in politics, because, you know, we, the whole idea of having elections, having these various different um, forms of democracy is that we vote in people who we who we feel that we have confidence in who will represent our communities who will represent our thoughts and values especially for people like yourself and myself who are healthcare workers this individual is also supposed to be a healthcare worker as well it should have been easy it should have been just a oh i'll take this into consideration it became this crazy whirlwind of 2 3 weeks long craziness is the best way to describe it over the internet 
just makes me really wonder about what are some of the policies and the things that happen with this government that we don't necessarily know about, that they wouldn't be willing to do, that they wouldn't be willing to challenge. And I think that's very scary. But maybe we can talk about what constitutes a good apology. What do you think a good apology nowadays from a leader looks like? I think it needs to be authentic and genuine. So it needs to be something that you're not reading off of a page that you can tell was written by somebody else. Right. Um, I just think it needs to be very straightforward and and blunt, if nothing else, to say that, yes, I was wrong. What I said was completely inaccurate. I'm thinking even about, you know, when celebrities apologize and they have their PR team involved. Like it needs to be something of that level, but it really needs to be something that comes across as genuine and not fake. Yeah, I I agree. And it doesn't need to be, I don't think it needs to be overly long. It just needs to really get to the point where, you know, you've recognized you made a mistake. This is something that you're working on. You know, you're you're growing and learning in some way and that, you know, it's not going to happen again. And apologize to that person and name what it was exactly that happened. No, I agree. I, I love all those points. And then the other piece I think is important is when you apologize, don't add but. Oh, yes. Don't have that word in there at all. But when you add but in. You can have and, not but though. Oh, well, you could add and, sure. But if you put but in, essentially your apology means nothing because you've said here's what I'm sorry about, but, and then it erases everything that you said previously. So putting it, for me, putting but into an apology means it's not an apology to begin with because you're trying to explain why you did what you did, even though you were wrong. So don't use the word but when you're putting out an apology. Absolutely. Oh, I think the other thing that would be important is making sure it's timely, right? I think when the insult occurs or whatever the case may be, the the response should be within a timely matter. I'm not saying that, you know, that same night you have to apologize, but if if it constitutes an apology at that time, then you should do it. But I think that with as long as it's in with a within a timely time frame, I think that should be that that's important too. Cause I know some people uh like myself need a little bit more time to think and just be like, okay, like what did I do here? Or how did I mess this up? What can I do to fix this? And some people might need that 24 hour, 72 hour time frame, and then they come back with their apology. But overall, I think it should be done in a timely manner. But I also want to add, and I'm using the word but, um, I don't think it, <laughs> I don't think it's ever too late for an apology. So if weeks, months- I was months, actually about to sing that. <laughs> if even- Is it too late now to say sorry? <laughs> Oh, God. You need to add that song in there. But but honestly, if it's even been years, it's still not too late to apologize. Because if you remember what happened and you were the aggressor, think about the person it happened to. They obviously will remember. And it's never too late to offer an apology, even if you think too much time has gone by and that person's forgotten. Because chances are they haven't, especially if you haven't. It's crazy how certain things play out. And I I always say this and I think back to being like, okay, Twitter's not the real world. It's not a real space. But even saying that we have to recognize how damaging and how important that space can be when these things play out. So I think that, you know, if it's warranted, we should do it. We should absolutely do it. Again, I think that that perfect apology acknowledges, like you said, the mistakes or the wrongdoing that has occurred. Again, that accepting of responsibility to say, yeah, 
I made that error that is on me. Again, not putting that onto someone else or putting that, those butts in or explaining uh, explaining it away. And then also just expressing regret. Like, I, I'm sorry that I took, I had that take. I, I should have thought about this in a different frame or a different mindset. And then also, I think the other piece that we might have missed is providing reassurance that it won't happen again. Because I think that's the worst part, right? You, you apologize for this egregious error. And then two weeks down the line, there you are doing the same thing to someone else and repeating the mistake again. Again, I think that's a really important part about, you know, your character and it shows the type of person that you are. So try to provide some reassurance that it won't occur again and actually do some work. Like I think the other pieces, the onus should be on the individual who kind of mucked up to begin with. If you made the mistake and you didn't, maybe there was an oversight, there were things that you didn't see or didn't take into account, take that time to actually learn about what you made a mistake about or how you or reflect on yourself in terms of how you can improve or do or not do that again in the future. I think that's super, super important. Oh, absolutely. Even if you say that you're doing a course or you're talking to more people who have more expertise, just showing that you are willing to learn from others who have that lived experience or that subject matter expertise, super important. Yeah. And again, like I, I put my little singing in, but again, one of the things that the Harvard Review talked about is it's never too late. So even when an apology is too late, um, it doesn't have to be too, too late. When doctors, uh, this particular situation says when doctors at Duke University Hospital made a ca- catastrophic mistake of transplanting the wrong heart and lungs into a 17-year-old girl who then subsequently died, the hospital's immediate response was to say nothing. In fact, the hospital might have not owned up to the problem at all and had not been for the avalanche of bad publicity. But once the decision was made to come clean, um, the CEO of Duke University Health System did so openly and honestly. So he had no fewer than nine press releases that were issued within five days. He also agreed to be interviewed by 60 Minutes and he came on the air, took full responsibility, expressed remorse, vow that the hospital will do everything in their power to prevent something like this from occurring again, and then also diffuse the situation with talking to their family members, reaching out to people who kind of watch this all unfold, and and making sure that everyone's concerns were addressed at the end of the day. Of course, this person went over and above. And then, of course, there was a fund that was put in this individual's name specifically for the girl who died. And I think this Herein, again, lies the most important leadership lesson. In a crisis situation, particularly, a less than perfect apology is better than no apology at all. Right. I don't think you should see that as a barrier to where you can't apologize because you don't feel it's perfect. It's not 100%. But at the end of the day, it just needs to be done, right? So I think apology, just period, is what you need to do. And I just wanted to touch a little bit on accountability. So different types of accountability um, are hierarchical accountability. So that means, um, you know, you need to be accountable to your manager. So, for example, administering the right medication to the patient. There are um, types of accountability like 
cultural accountability, so peer pressure, um, that's actually a lot more powerful than um, hierarchy. On social media, peer pressure to say something you know that's right or re- or you know rephrase what you've said if it wasn't correct. But the most important is actually personal accountability. So just being accountable to yourself. I guess like in common terms, it's just like doing the right thing when nobody's watching. Just having those high standards for yourself is really the personal accountability that you need as a leader. It doesn't matter what level of leadership you're in. You just need to have that accountability to yourself so that people can trust that you are going to do the right thing and do what you say you're going to do. No, I I agree, and I I'm so sorry. All these great songs are coming to my mind. Okay, what's this we're talking one now? about accountability and apologizing. <laughs> um, it's Sam Smith, and honestly, my singing sucks. But you know, he's like, "How do you sleep when you lie to me?" <laughs> <laughs> you know what song I'm talking about, anyways. But yeah, like, how do some of these people sleep at night knowing that they have that accountability and they do nothing? Right. I think it's just again holding people to the account, and I think. We kind of do that anyways. I think it's important that we hold people's feet to the fire, especially political leaders, especially people who who we say we've elected. I I, I didn't elect her because she's not in my constituent area, but that's neither here nor there. But I think that we should be putting pressure on our governments to do the right thing. And we should be putting pressure on our leaders or people who we consider to be leaders to do the right thing. Because I think if we continue to let people get away with bad behavior, poor decision-making, that we really put ourselves at a loss. Like I think, I think the only people who end up losing when we don't hold our leaders, executives, CEOs, politicians to account are the, are the people. It's us who are going to end up getting hurt. And if we don't, if we don't hold their feet to the fire, we don't correct them in, you know, in love, respectability, and just call by calling it out, then we are going to, then we are only hurting ourselves. So I think that's just another important takeaway. And again, that's why we do what we're doing. We, We don't do it because we think people are evil. We're not trying to bash people over the head and, you know, trying to ruin people's lives. I think it's just important it's an important thing that we all do, that we hold people to account, that we hold leaders accountable for their actions. Because if we don't, then we continue to see the same crap that we we don't want to see and deal with. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a good quality to have. But the other piece I wanted to say is when should a leader apologize? I think it's when they're when doing so is likely to serve an important purpose when the offense is of a serious or egregious nature or there may be serious consequences. I also think it's appropriate that a leader apologizes to assume responsibility so that accountability piece like we talked about for that offense. And again, when there is nobody else that can get the job done, then I think that's also when a leader should step in and apologize. And also, lastly, when the cost of saying something is likely lower than the cost of saying silent. We can't, we've touched on this piece so many, so many times. Silence is violence. And I think that when we watch our leaders, when something horrible happens and we watch our leaders say nothing, that is probably the worst thing that could be done, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to healthcare, especially when it comes to humanity, especially when it comes to just respecting each other on an individual and personal level. Right. And I think for our listeners who aren't in Canada, there's this perception that Canadians apologize over everything, but (laughs) not apparently with things that matter. 
right? right. <laughs> so you bump somebody's elbow on the street and you say sorry, even though that person bumped into you. It's like, so we're okay with saying stuff like that. We're, we're okay with saying sorry, but when it comes to hospitals and budgets, oh, sorry, we didn't have enough uh, budget to hire nurses. We can't apologize for things that really matter. That's where these fake perceptions of Canadians being always so nice and whatever. I think that, you know, we are people too. I don't think we do it any differently. I think that, you know, we have our demons as well. And I think it's just, it's just an important principle for everyone to have, you know, apologize for the things that mean most to the person who, you know, it's affecting. And I think that that's just, that should just be, I think that's just being a good individual. That's just looking out for your your brother, your sister, your family member, your friend, your neighbor, your community. And I think that's something we all should do. And we've lost we've lost sight of doing that over the last many, many years. It hasn't just been two years. I was gonna say just over the pandemic, but yeah, it's gotten worse over the pandemic, but it's been a longstanding problem. For sure. And if anyone listening has a story about holding leaders accountable, we would love to hear from you, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Yeah. Or even if you've had a, a, a story about a really good apology, we'd like to hear that too. I think we're always, we're always up to hear positive stories, negative stories, or stories about changes and opportunities. That's kind of what we do here on the Gritty Nurse Podcast. And we sing horribly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you.